1: Welcome to Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. We are continuing our off-season edition. I'm Joe Galina, and as always, I'm joined by a guy who knows a lot about baseball, fantasy baseball, especially. Please acknowledge my man Scott Chu. How's it going, there, Scott? Not too
2: bad. Not too bad. As uh, <clears throat> as we were talking about before the show, I am I'm getting over COVID. Unfortunately, I I was fully vaxxed and. Uh, Still managed to get it because I've got a kid and a wife and they're both gross. So got it and um, doing fine. You know, everything, everything's fine. Kind of felt like a cold because I was vaccinated, but I am still very gross. So a lot of mucus going on, but that's okay because there's still plenty of me left to talk about baseball.
1: What a trooper you are. You've recorded the podcast from a hotel room. Now you're recording the podcast. Uh, While you have COVID, and it's it's kind of ironic because we were just talking before the show how my wife tested positive for COVID uh, on Tuesday. By the way, we're recording this podcast on Wednesday, Thanksgiving Eve, November 24th. And I'm uh, waiting to see if, you know, COVID might hit me as well. I have one negative test, but waiting for uh, additional testing. So we'll see. But COVID is not going to stop us from talking about fantasy baseball.
2: No, it's going to take more than that. It's going to take more than some pesky national pandemic to keep us from recording an episode here.
1: There you go. So like I mentioned, it's Thanksgiving Eve as we're recording this and uh, we're going to uh, drop this episode actually on Thanksgiving. I want to thank everyone for the uh, great reception that we've received for the past few shows and uh, just want to, Say what I'm thankful for real quick. Thankful that uh, Nick Pollack took a chance on me, allowed me to become part of a pitcher's list and teamed us together. Scott, uh, working with you on this podcast has been great. And uh, just, uh, you've made me a better fantasy baseball player. And uh, if you don't do anything stupid to make me change my mind about what I just said, we'll, we'll get along real fine.
2: So we, so should, we just end the show. Just make sure that we, <laughs> we keep that. We'll just, we'll just end the show here and I can't do any damage.
1: There you go. There you go. But, uh, hey, it's been a rather busy offseason so far. Uh, you know, we got that collective bargaining agreement still lingering over our heads, a uh, possible lockout looming. But it's been great to see so many transactions taking place so far this offseason. And we had a huge one that uh, broke on Tuesday that I want to talk about. Uh, Wander Franco. Uh, Rays, who have been one of baseball's most successful franchises over the past few years, opened up their checkbooks, signed a wonder kid, Wanda Franco, to an 11-year, $182 million contract Uh, that comes out to uh, approximately $16,545,000 per year. And that part of the contract is guaranteed. There's also an option for a 12th year, which would bring the total dollars to $223 million. That's uh, an average of $18.5 million per year. Big deal for the Rays, who were considered a small market team. They had the fifth lowest payroll in baseball at uh, $70.8 million last year. And reality there, Scott, is there really such thing as a small market team anymore with revenue sharing and uh, money that's being spread out from the uh, MLB TV contract?
2: I mean, when a team is owned by a billionaire, I guess it doesn't really matter how big the market is, does it? Like, <laughs> it doesn't. It's not... It's not that relevant. I will say this was a great deal, I think, for both of them. And there might be some people out there who think that, like, man, Wander Franco could have gotten a lot more. The answer is, like, the long and short of it is that maybe he could have eventually. But before then, he'd have to go through pre-arb and probably make less than a million dollars for a while. And then go through arbitration, which is a horrible process where basically, like, teams and players have to argue about why they should be paid more. And like, if you've ever seen the presentations of a, uh, you know, I, I encourage you to look it up, go see what major league teams say about the players that are in arbitration. Like basically the player has to sit there and hear the team talk about why they think they suck. Right. Like that's what arbitration is. It's a horrible process. yeah. <clears throat> and it re- it would require a wander to stay healthy and not go through like any growth periods. This is a great contract for him. He's he's locked down. Yeah, sure, it's long, and he'll be, you know, he gave up a couple of free agent years. But again, he doesn't have to sit around and wait through the pre-arb years or right. the arbitration years where he's getting paid pennies compared to what he'll
1: probably be worth. Right, right. And, hey, look, you know, like, I agree with you that this contract is kind of beneficial to both sides, you know, at either 16.5 or 18.5 mil per year, Ray's potentially getting... Uh, a good deal on a potential superstar player and for Franco with the deal either expiring at whether he's 31 or 32 years old, because of that club option, you know, he'll still be able to sign at least one more big long-term deal before his career is over. You know, as long as he's healthy and has uh, fulfilled expectations. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like
2: just to, just to talk about like, again, what, ARB mean So like Vlad Guerrero Jr. Uh, finally got arbitration, right? And he's projected to make, you know, to get a first year arbitration salary of like just under $8 million. Like, do you know how many third basemen are going to be paid more than $8 million next year? You know how many of them are better than Vlad Guerrero Jr.? Zero. Right? Mm-hmm. Like there's like 15 guys who are going to get paid $8 million next year to play third base. Mm-hmm. And uh, Vlad Guerrero is not one of them. Right. Like he's going to get paid just less than that. So that's really where this contract comes out. And like, yes, he's giving up a little bit of future free agency. He's still going to be able to get another contract. <clears throat> he's looking like he's going to be a star for a very long time. Um, the, the Rays have done this before. They did this actually with Evan Longoria, right? Like when they brought him up, they signed him to an extension right away. And uh, it works out pretty well, right? There are times you see teams get burned by this. Uh, the last one I can think of was the Astros. I can't even remember his name. It was a first baseman and uh, he was not very good. at His first name was Jonathan, I think. And uh, he, he really struggled and never ended up being worth the money. But it was still a good value for both because if the player had really exploded, they would have had him at a good deal. And if he didn't, the player gets like five million bucks. And, you know, it's the, you know, the Astros don't really care they're like okay see ya buy five million dollars enjoy your money
1: right it wasn't uh john singleton it is yep 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 i just just, uh googled him so and Rays seemed to be taking a page out of the braves book right the the braves uh locked up uh, ronald acuna for eight years for a total of 100 million back in 2019 when he was just 21 years old they signed ozzy Albies to a seven-year 35 million dollar extension he was a i believe he might have been 22 I'll have to double check that but it has been done before and uh, hey look I think the Rays are smart uh, making this deal but uh, uh, Juan Franco, not the only player getting paid uh, let's just go through some of what's been going on since we last met a couple weeks ago uh, pitchers getting paid uh, teams valuing starting pitching there Scott Steven Matz is the most recent Player that's been signed uh, signed a four year forty four million dollar contract with the Cards uh, was fourteen and seven with a three point eight two ERA last year. Really came on in the second half. Really benefited when he was uh, pitching with an extra day's rest. Five and one with a two point seven ERA when he pitched with at least six days rest. And Mets owner Cohen a little ticked off at <laughs> Mets's agent right because uh, he wanted to get the last word and see if uh, he would have signed with the Mets. But if I remember, he, Mets wasn't a very happy Met. Had some injuries and he actually went to go see his own doctor. Didn't trust the Mets medical staff, but uh, Mets, accord.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure anyone's happy to be a Met right now. You know, <laughs> like, it, you know, most of the people that get there, like get kind of traded there or drafted there and they kind of wind up there. Not really where they want to be. I mean, maybe that'll change soon, but it certainly hasn't changed right now mats is the kind of pitcher that will always continue to get deals probably for longer than you think he should because he can throw 150 innings he can have a four ish era right you know kind of glance over that 2020 season where he was really you know he had six starts and was just terrible he uh he's had home run plot problems in the past he did a lot better with that in 2021 so that was really good. And you'll want to see him continue that. Otherwise, he just becomes really, really volatile. know, left-handers who give up home runs are just really, really uh, not able to be successful in the majors for very long. Uh, there's just too many right-handed bats who eat up left-handed pitchers. So, you know, with Matt's, he's got like 15-team league fantasy value and like occasional streamer value, right? Um, because he doesn't get a ton of strikeouts, but he can get close to a strikeout per inning, um, If he's not giving up home runs, you know, he'll keep the ERA in a respectable level. Um, He's just, you know, he's an okay pitcher. It's weird to see the Mets get so upset about a guy like this. But also, you know, th- there's a reason that there were probably several teams interested in bidding on him because he is what a fourth or fifth starter is. And there are 30 teams in Major League Baseball, and pretty much all of them can use a guy like this.
1: Yeah, maybe part of it was the fact that they let Noah Syndergaard go right, after uh, offering him the $18.4 million qualifying offer. Uh, and he left and uh, went to sign the contract with the Angels. And, uh, you know, if you listen to uh, sports talk here in New York, a lot of Mets fans were a little upset at that, that the Mets wouldn't cough up uh, another $2.6 at least to match the Angels' offer. It just seems like maybe the Mets just want to get that, that, that first deal done, You know, and then move forward, you know, Um, and they also lost Aaron Loop, who uh, signed uh, with the Angels as well. Angels making some moves. And, you know, I'm looking at Aaron Loop, who uh, was a reliever for the Mets, had a really nice season. But with Rasiel Iglesias, uh, a free agent, uh, you know, maybe uh, Loop could be some insurance just in case they can't sign Iglesias that, you know, he might be part of maybe a committee there.
2: Yeah. I mean, it could be, honestly, one of the biggest takeaways I've had from all of this is just that players don't want to be Mets, right? <laughs> like they're, they're just not that interested in being Mets. Yeah. And uh, that's a real thing that happens, right? I know that my own Tigers for a very long time were just a horrible destination for free agents. They actually had to give Pudge Rodriguez this giant contract. And after they did that, he was able to entice more players over and, um, that, I mean, we actually see that that's a real thing. Players go to where they have other players. They know they ask about like, just like regular people. What's the work environment? Like, what's it like being there, you know, and also can they win, but they, they do that a lot and, and you're going to probably notice that not a lot of guys are flocking to the Mets right now. And mm-hmm. that's because it's a big giant oil soaked burning ship, uh, <laughs> out in the middle
1: of the ocean. So not
2: a, not a very, uh, enticing destination.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, talking about the Mets, uh, you know, some players not wanting to be Mets. You, you also have a couple players that uh, don't seem to want to be Yankees as well. Marcus Stroman guy should just stay off of Twitter because, you know, he's costing himself some money. Uh, Ripping Yankee fans who asked if he'd consider being a Yankee, citing uh, player appearances. You know, the Yankees have that no facial hair policy, which, you know, I don't agree with, but I don't own the team. But, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, Carlos Correa, another guy who's been linked to your Tigers, and we'll talk about your Tigers in a second, um, didn't endear himself to uh, Yankee fans and the Yankees uh, as well, I would think, <laughs> after the radio interview where he said Derek Jeter didn't deserve any of his five Gold Gloves. Now, whether or not that's true or not, uh, if you know you want the Yankees to be players and and bid on your services and build up, you know your asking price. Shut the heck up.
2: Yeah, and I mean, <clears throat> you know, there's a there's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, I, we can probably assume that uh, that Correa is not going to go to the Marlins right? Like <laughs> probably, probably not going down there now. Right. Uh, <clears throat> that shout out. I, I do hope he, he becomes a tiger. That's a great landing spot for him. I think that's a great, that's a huge upgrade for that team and gives them a presence in that lineup. And it also makes me happy personally. So that's very important. And that's what but, we want. We want. To yeah. Be happy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they, they did already sign a pitcher, Eduardo Rodriguez. That was, I yeah. think a really nice landing spot. Um, <clears throat> tigers, you know, the tigers playing Comerica, which is oddly, it's this weird park where It's sort of like Coors in that it's very, very big, which actually makes it, um, it suppresses home runs a bit, Mm -hmm. but it really opens up doubles and triples like Nick Castellanos used to get a ton of triples, uh, because he would hit these big power alleys at Comerica, even though he's not that fast, right? He's never hitting a triple, at great American ballpark. That's just not going to happen, but he could do it at Comerica because it was so much grass. He was able to, you know, hit a line drive deep to left center and just keep running. Those are those are great, and I mean, this is the time of year we're seeing a lot of pitchers getting paid right now. I mean, on this list, we, we've seen Kendall Graveman, the reliever, he went to the White Sox to really shore up that bullpen. That's a really strong bullpen. Interesting exactly. to see what they'll do with like Craig Kimbrell there. Mm-hmm. You've got the Giants re-signing Calfani, um and Ale- I, Alex Wood.
1: I love they, that those two, <clears throat> two.
2: Yeah, I mean, and it's hard not to love what the Giants on. do at at pitching. They're just they're the wizards right now. Um, they're the ones that have the secret sauce and everybody wants it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jose Barrios got his contract. We just talked about Erod. All these guys are getting paid. Part of that is actually because there's uncertainty coming with mm-hmm. the labor crisis, right? <clears throat> so there's two things you can do when you're facing the unknown. You either sort of like dig in a trench and don't do anything because you don't want, you know, you don't want to risk that you sign guys now and the contracts are better after the labor dispute, mm-hmm. or you do the opposite where you try to get a bunch of contracts right now because you think that after the labor dispute, it'll be, you know, the contracts you have to pay are worse. Right.
1: Right. right.
2: <clears throat> it's all about um, it's all about identifying risk, hedging your bets. And uh, I think we're going to see even more players continue to sign quickly. Mm-hmm. Right. Because they want, and they want to get locked in. Right. I'd rather have a contract now than go into the season that might get delayed for a long time. And then all of a sudden you're know, like, you kind of have to sit around not knowing if you're going to have a job and like if the season starts coming back, who do you go to train with? That's a really hard position to be in. We saw this a little bit in 2020 as well. And so what you know, I'm not surprised we're seeing these contracts. And I, I think we're going to continue to see them. And I think the hot stove, as it were, will stay pretty hot. And like, you know, eventually we'll get close to a labor dispute that will finally like shut it down. But I do think teams are going to try to make as many signings as they can for probably the rest of the calendar year.
1: Yeah, any of these signings uh, really resonate with you in terms of fantasy wise? I mean, uh, I love uh, Jose Barrios. You mentioned him uh, with the Blue Jays, seven year, one hundred thirty one million dollar uh, contract, eighteen point seven million per year average, and the Blue Jays. Uh, I think I've mentioned that on this podcast. They're just going to be a good team for a long time uh, with uh, Rio signed for the next couple of years, Alec Manoa, that offense, uh, lots of runs going to be scored. And when you look at Barrios, you know, it's just a guy that gives you innings, you know, 2017, 145 innings, 2018, 192 innings, 2019, 200 and uh, he's still got a, a 20 win season in him. He's yet to have that, that career year where he just lights up. I think he's got at least one in him and in nine career starts at uh, Toronto's Rogers center, 2.44 ERA 0.831 whip.
2: Yeah. And I mean, they, they found their closer last year in Jordan Romano. I think he's a really good closer uh, for the blue Jays. They're, they're going to be a really good team. And, um, I think there may be one pitcher away, right? I don't know how much I believe in Ross Stripling. Uh, we've yet to see Nate Pearson really put things together, uh, even for like a whole game. Um, So, you know, if Nate Pearson can come out, I think they'll be ready to go. Or if Ross Stripling can give them real innings, they'll be ready to go. Um, they, you know, they have a couple other like young pitchers sort of coming up, but they're not great. You know, um, they've got like Thomas Hatch and Anthony K and a bunch of these guys that are just, you know, quad a pitchers. So it might be a little while before we see, like they'll probably have to use free agency to fill those holes. But yeah, they're, they're a really, they're a really good team. And, um, they have a lot of pieces on the roster that are still really good. Uh, you know, they've got, a lot of depth. I'm very interested to see from a fantasy perspective, what actually happens. This isn't even a free agent thing. I want to see what happens with Kevin V Bigio, mm. right? Um, he really struggled last year, not only to stay healthy and then he couldn't perform. Um, I- I'm really curious to see, you know, he's 26 years old, so he's not old. He's not young. I'm interested to see if they actually try to platoon him a- in the infield somewhere uh, with, you know, with a right-handed bat, or if they just let him be, the full-time second baseman, uh, that that's a guy who could really have a bounce back year in fantasy, or we could lose him entirely. You know, if you're in a dynasty league and you've got Kevin Biggio, 2021 is is probably the you know, 2022 is going to be the year that you realize whether or not you've got a player you can continue to build with, or if you need to let him go. The one thing I'm not doing right now is trading him because the risk is really weird. And unless someone is convinced that he's going to be um, you know, if they, if they roster him and they're convinced he's going to be a platoon guy and you think you can get him for pennies on the dollar, go do that. Mm-hmm. Or if there's someone who's convinced he's going to be, you know, he's going to work his way back into a decent spot in the order or whatever, which I don't see. Um, then, you know, go ahead and, and let that player trade for him so that they can overpay for Kevin Biggio, but otherwise sit, wait, see, this could be someone, you know, he has 15, 15 or 20, 20 upside. In OBP leagues, he can be a really nice piece, but we need to see him play and we need to see him play every day, which never, th- I never thought that'd be a thing I say about Kevin Biggio, but here we are. Now we have to figure out if he's even going to play every day.
1: Right. Okay. So, uh, one last move that I'd like, to, well, it's not really a move yet, but uh, we had talked about say a Suzuki outfielder, uh, the Hiroshima Carp. Uh, we had talked about him a couple of podcasts ago, uh, but it's official. He's been officially posted uh, to uh, Major League teams, have the uh, a chance to sign him. They have until December 22nd at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to make their bids uh, to sign him. Uh, if there is a lockout, I think that affects, there's a, probably a pause there. But uh, 27-year-old outfielder Good contact hitter, 321 average last season, uh, 38 home runs, and nine stolen bases. So I think there's going to be plenty of teams that are going to be interested in Seiya Suzuki.
2: Yeah, and and it's really interesting because right now, you know, we have a couple drafts that have been through. Seiya Suzuki has been drafted in 14 of the 16 drafts that have happened through the NFBC. That puts his ADP in this really weird range, right? He's like sort of in between Max Kepler, Brandon Nemo, Uh, Riley Green, Andrew McCutcheon, Hunter Dozier. Uh, And it's because we don't know where he's going to be and where he's going to play. He has a min pick of 155. So someone has actually taken him way, way earlier. Like he's been drafted as like a top 40 outfielder, which is what we talked about on our last show, Mm -hmm. that he has this kind of upside if he can get on a team that lets him play, right? He's got this top 40-ish high-risk, high-reward outfield. He's got incredible plate discipline and and probably should be drafted um, higher. I I think by the time he gets signed, we might see him start getting drafted in that like 50 to 60 range, that Mm -hmm. Avi Garcia kind of range. So that'll be interesting to see. But right now, it's just going to be speculation about his incredible hit tool and numbers in Japan and who actually ends up signing him.
1: Right. And that uh, 155 ADP, that puts him in a tr- 12th team or somewhere around 13th round or so. But uh, I agree with you. Depending on where he signs, and once he signs, we could see that ADP move forward. So be interesting to see. I saw some headlines there, Scott, about uh, where the uh, war stat, wins above replacement, would be used as a, a basis for player salary. Uh, you know, it was just brought up as. Uh, some of uh, the negotiating regarding the uh, the new agreement that I don't know are they even are they even working on the agreement or they're just going to just lock the players out. I don't know. Do you, do you hear anything? I mean,
2: it, it's hard to say. I heard a little bit about this. I don't think it was going to be um, terribly serious, mm-hmm. but it, it would be the only way it's interesting is if you're talking about it as a way to determine like how much a player should get in pre-arb, mm-hmm. right? Cause the current system, again, you'd be amazed at how little elite players get paid while they're in pre arbitration. Right. I, I think it took Josh Hader like three seasons before he finally made a million dollars a year playing baseball, even though he was like the best relief pitcher on the planet Uh, because pre arb just doesn't really reward players. So I could see some idea of trying to you like, it, you know, infuse war or some kind of stat into arbitration, pre arbitration, things like that. I just don't think anyone ever will because you know, what stinks is arguing about numbers, mm-hmm. right? Like you really don't want to go in there and like all these arguments would boil down into why the way war works isn't right for this player. And it just be really, really messy and gross. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, there's, it's a decent way to like, it's a decent way as an af like after the fact to sort of see if the contract was a good idea because you can start what you can do is start figuring out how much a win should be worth right and then seeing if the contract ended up working out right um, if you want to just be like really mechanical about it so it, it's interesting that way but it's not real it's not going to happen
1: mm-hmm. so just to, uh, an oversimplified. Definition about what wins above replacement is it's it's how many more wins a player is worth than a replacement level player at his same position. So and it is interesting just to hear these uh, statistics that we use in fantasy crossing over into reality. So that's pretty cool. But uh, I kind of agree with you. I don't think it's really going to be used uh, widely. But it's just interesting that it was mentioned. But uh, so. Um, Steamer ranks their players using war. Uh, We've already taken a quick look at some Steamer projections in previous shows. Uh, We also looked at some of the player rankings based on uh, Fangraph's auction calculator. But since our last podcast, uh, and you've alluded to this with uh, ADPs, the high stakes National Fantasy Championships have started their fantasy baseball drafts this offseason and Scott, we actually have some real ADPs to analyze from high-stakes players.
2: Yeah, and particularly we have them so that we can overanalyze them. That's really where the joy in this is going to happen. What else are you going to do in November? Yeah, I'm not going to talk to my family. Right. <laughs> I'm going to eat food and look at these numbers.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. Eat food and uh, you know just look at the numbers on your uh, on your phone on your smartphone uh, on Thanksgiving. Why not? Uh, so, basically, you and I, we, we both thought we'd do a, a segment comparing steamer projections, auction calculation rankings, and NFC ADPs. And uh, just go and have some fun. And we'll start at the beginning for first base. So, um, Scott, I, I, I need my Yankees to go get Matt Olsen. Supposedly, they're very interested. I mean, the Yankees need a first baseman. Um. Rizzo, Anthony Rizzo, a free agent, but uh, if they could trade for Matt Olson, and it seems like the A's want to uh, have a fire sale, but they're going to ask a lot for this guy. He's the third first baseman off the board in NFC drafts, min max 2189. So that's anywhere from a second round to an eighth round pick. Uh, on average, he's going in the fourth round and the reason why he has to be a Yankee, 1.205 OPS in 9 games at Yankee Stadium. It's only 9 games, but lefty pull hitter, he signed through the 2023 season, plays a good defense, steamer, has a 40 home runs, 259 batting average. What do you say about Matt Olson?
2: Yeah, we talked about him a little bit last time too. I mean, just huge raw power in Matt Olson's bat. He's a guy that, you know, really would be picture perfect in like in New York, because he plays in one of the parks that suppresses home runs more than others Mm -hmm. Uh, in the Coliseum. He'd be going to a place that really like juices home runs, Uh, even for, you know, lefties like Olsen in Yankee Stadium. If he had played all of his games in Yankee Stadium last year, he actually would have broken the 40 home run barrier. Mm -hmm. Um, He had 39, he would have gotten to 41. Um, There's a couple more parks he would have had more, but not a ton. So it's a really good landing spot for him. And it's interesting because I didn't I didn't think he was going to go quite so high. I thought he might be drafted closer to Paul Goldschmidt and Pete Alonzo right now. He's being taken a good, you know, 15 to 20 picks before those guys. Mm -hmm. So I I find that interesting. I wonder if that'll get a little tighter as it goes on. Um, especially if he doesn't go to New York. I think if he goes to New York, it stays where it is because people are just going to love that. And they're going to, they're going to see signs in their head going off for 45, even 50 home runs. If he tweaks his approach, blah, blah, blah. So, um, I mean, he's definitely not in the same tier as Vlad Guerrero Jr. Or Freddie Freeman. I I think again, as I mentioned last week, I I think the move is huge for him, but ultimately that's what he's going to be is he's going to be this like top 50 ish guy to draft and should be someone you're thinking about when you're creating your strategy for first
1: base. Right. And you mentioned Paul Goldschmidt, fourth first baseman coming off the board in these high-stake ADPs, min-max 44-70, and so on average going in the sixth round. And uh, basically had a really... uh, Nice season. Got better offensively as the season progressed. He was even stealing some bases like he used to. Well, not like he used to because there was a season where he stole thirty-two. Another one where he stole twenty-one. But he stole twelve bases, had uh, thirty-one home runs, and a two ninety-four batting average. Had a nice big second half. And uh, Steamer projects him for a thirty homer season with a two seventy-six average.
2: Yeah, and I don't see why it shouldn't. Right? Like he he looked like the old. Paul Goldschmidt in, in so many ways, except with, uh, you know, he did change his plate discipline profile a little bit. Uh, he's not walking quite as much as he did before. Uh, and he certainly wasn't the Joey Votto esque guy that we saw in 2020. Um, but that's okay because the power came back, right? He did hit his 30 home runs. I, I love the steamer projection here. I, I think it's like pretty much spot on, right? Like 150 games. Cause that's what he does. He plays the whole season. He hasn't missed, more than like six games in a season since 2014, Hmm. right? He's just been incredibly solid. He hits, when he plays a full season, he hits 30 home runs. He's done that, you know, pretty much every season. He didn't do it in 2016. um, And obviously he didn't have as much power in 2020, but every other year, including last year, he hits 30 home runs. He stole 12 bases and like 10 bases is something that you can maybe dream about. Although Steamer says seven and that sounds right to me. They just don't need him to run as much as they did. Um, plenty of counting stats. They could be even better if the Cardinals go do Cardinal stuff and don't wait till the very last minute to win ball games. So that'll be, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that goes, but he, he's a, he's a really strong player. I, I, and I think that again, he is someone that I, I can already hear people saying in their head, like, Oh yeah, at first base, I'm targeting Paul Goldschmidt. Cause I don't want to pay up for you know, Vlad Junior. You know, if I miss out on Vlad Junior. or Freddie Freeman, I'm going to wait because I can get Paul Goldschmidt later, especially because he's old. So you will find drafts where he gets pushed down and pushed down and pushed down.
1: Age bias, age bias, right? Talk to me about the next couple of guys on our rundown. Jake Cronenworth, first base, second base, shortstop, eligible, 11th first base. I'm coming off the board. NFBC per FanGraphs. Auction Calculator ranked 20th among first basemen. Uh, he'd be ranked 8th among first basemen per steamer based on his projected war. 16 home runs, 6 stolen bases, 270 projection. But hey, Reese Hoskins, I'm thinking he might be one of the best values at first base if you wait on the position right now. NFBC, ADP, 15th first baseman coming off the board and basically like an 18th round uh, selection and uh, I call him kind of like a, uh, a poor man's Matt Olson and, and Pete Alonzo because you look at his 162 game average, 241 uh, batting average, three thirty-seven home runs, 103 RBI. I, I'm kind of thinking that maybe Cronenworth uh, might be a little overrated, especially when you, you take a look at him in comparison to a Reese Hoskins.
2: Yeah, two things to talk about on Cronenworth there. Number one, um, His ward's going to be higher because he's a good defender and he plays all over the place, Mm -hmm. right? But we don't care about that for fantasy. I mean, we care about where he plays all over the place. And that does make him more valuable in NFBC-style formats, right? Because the replacement level at first, second, and short is going to be way lower than it is for like what is the you know quintessential opposite of an NFBC league, which is like a Yahoo league, which doesn't have middle infield, doesn't have corner infield. Jake Cronenworth all of a sudden becomes like He's the replacement level, right? That's all he is. He's replacement replacement level at first base, second base and shortstop, right? So that's not very valuable in the, you know, 12 team Yahoo format. But in the 15 team NFBC format where you roster, you know, every team's got, you know, a second baseman, a shortstop and a middle infield and a corner, you know, and they need to fill corner infield and first base and Cronenworth can do all those things. That makes him a lot more valuable there because he is above replacement level, and you can use him all over your roster. It gives you more flexibility in season when you're picking up free agents because you don't you no longer have to say, "Oh, I have to get a first baseman." You can go like, "Actually, I can get a first baseman or a second baseman because Cronin, you know, Cronenworth will fill one of the spots. I need someone to fill the other one." Right? You you get to do that, so it's it's very very helpful. Gives you that flexibility. I, I think that you know, when you are in these Yahoo style leagues, I I just don't see a point in going for Jake Cronenworth. And I'd rather wait for like a Riz Hoskins, a guy who could hit a whole bunch of home runs for me and really, you know, really contribute or wait even longer and just like completely go, you know, swing for the fences. You could punt first base. I mean, God, the guy who won the silver, like the guy who won the silver slugger at first base is the 21st one off the board. Yuli Gurriel's 21st one off the board right Mm now. I I don't love Yuli Gurriel, but like, I would love to take a chance on Trey Mancini again. Mm-hmm. Um, Jonathan Scope showed a lot of things last year. Frank Schwindel showed a lot of things last year. Brandon Belt, when he was healthy, was just yeah. ripping the cover off the ball, right? All these guys are, are out there.
1: 40-plus home run season before he got hurt last year.
2: Yeah, all, all these guys are out there at first base, mm-hmm. just sitting around, right? Um, And in Yahoo-style league, I mean, Anthony Rizzo. Anthony Rizzo is available. You know, He's the 15th one off the board you get to wait forever at first base. Like there's going to be a lot of strategies in 12 team leagues where you just don't worry about first base that much because it's very, very deep. And it's going to be this very like top and bottom strategy. Like either get the elite guys or just wait, 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 wait. Right. There's no need to take uh, a chance on a uh, DJ LeMayhu or Jake Cronenworth. Right. Why? Why? Just wait, wait another 30 picks and you can still get, Anthony Rizzo, Ty France, Joey Votto, who showed a lot. Of, like you can get all those guys at the end
1: of a draft. Yeah, so they're going to ask me about Votto, who had a basically a comeback season last year, right? Two sixty six, three thirty six home runs, ninety nine RBI. Uh, had a little approach at the plate, standing up a little taller in the in the batter's box. Seventeenth first baseman off the board in NFBC ADP. So uh, I don't know. Do you do you think that was his last hurrah? I mean, or- who cares?
2: Right. Like you're, you're paying like, yeah, you're, you're using like a top, like a, you know, just inside the top 200 pick on the guy. You don't need him to hit 35 home runs at that point. You need him to do a couple of the things he did last year. Right. That's it. So, I mean, I, I like, I like that. And I just overall really like the depth at this position. There are good first basemen who can do things for you available, like, you know, 25 deep, right? Like Mm -hmm. even deeper. So, I mean, Luke Voigt, it's been a weird ride for him, but he's out there. You, you never even have to think about him. In a 12 team league, you do not need to draft him. Mm-hmm. But what if he runs away with a first base job, right? I mean, Miguel Sinnoh is down at 29, right?
1: Wow. He's just,
2: yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, but before we've been excited about him because he really does have that power. He still does, right? This is, no he doubt. just finally, okay. he's finally at a price where that's appropriate to take that kind of minus on the batting average. He's just Aguilar was useful for a lot of chunks last season. Mm-hmm. He, he goes to pick two eighty first base is crazy deep. And I, and I love it because it gives you a lot of flexibility in the draft room to look at guys like a Riz Hoskins, right? To look at guys like that, you know, like Joey Votto, because you don't, you're not stuck where you have to get one of the elite guys. Cause there's only like two of them.
1: Yeah. Let's move over to second base, Brandon Lowe is uh, number three among second baseman per steamer. Uh, could also be eligible at outfield, depending on your league's rules. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan, except what scares me a little bit was uh, his numbers against left-handed pitching last year. 198 batting average, 261 OBP, and a 401 slug. Should we be concerned? I mean,
2: he, he's been a very streaky player these last few years. He's got an aggressive approach. Uh, you know, he's... He's going 10th at second base, which is pick like 87 in NFBC. Mm -hmm. First things first, let's talk about second base last year was like, felt like this very shallow position, right? Where it's like, oh, there's not really a whole lot here. There's 12 of them going in the first hundred picks, Mm -hmm. right? And then Jonathan India is just after pick 100. There's a lot of depth at second base as well. Uh, Not a lot of like superstar power. I mean, that's Trey Turner and Ozzy Albee's, and to a slightly lesser extent, like Marcus Simeon and Whit Merrifield. And then it's, you know, a lot of guys who could do things. There's quite a bit of speed here. Tommy Edmond stole bases, obviously. Jess Shazolm Jr., uh, they can steal. Um, yeah, this this is a deep position. I think the biggest things are gonna be, you know, Jonathan India obviously is gonna be a, a hot discussion point. It's hard not to believe what he did last year because he was just very, very, uh, very workmanlike about it. Uh, but also it's a very small track record. And while he was, you know, liked as a prospect, he wasn't liked as like a rookie of the year candidate kind of thing. Um, and you know, his season was very good. Although he also benefited, I think from some of the superstars that may have been part of that rookie class, just not having it this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll be interesting, but yeah, there's Jake Cronenworth again. He's a, he's the 15th one off the board. Uh, uh, just another very, Jorge
1: Polanco. Getting a lot of early offseason buzz. Shortstop, second base, eligible. According to the auction calculator, he's sixth among second basemen. Eleventh off of uh, NFBC. Uh, Looks like in NFBC leagues, you're gonna have to invest right now an eighth round pick or so. Um, And Steamer has him as eleventh. And you know, I forgot what this guy did. Thirty three home runs. And 11 stolen bases and 98 RBI last year for the twins.
2: Yeah, and if you put Steamer's projections into the auction calculator, they've got him as like the seventh second baseman. Uh he does, he's gonna play a ton. He should be hitting towards the top of that lineup. He has power, he has a bit of speed. I mean, I, I love that he's not the most expensive second baseman, right? Um, he's getting him around pick a hundred sounds awesome. And that's and he's eligible at second and short. That's going to be something I think that if I can, you know, I'm going to be going into drafts really hoping that I can grab some some nice shares of Jorge Polanco. Mm-hmm, uh, you're mm-hmm. probably going to start him at second base because shortstops really really deep, especially yep. at the top. Yep. But still, like you're going to be you're going to be excited uh, to get Jorge Polanco because his floor is just a very very safe thing. Like yeah. honestly, if as long as he plays, he's going to put up pretty good numbers. And, uh, you know, do them for a team that should be a lot better
1: in 2022. Yep. And uh, speaking of shortstop, you mentioned very briefly, Tim Anderson now starting to get a little respect.
3: I want respect!
1: At the shortstop position. I'm looking at his uh, NFBC ADP. He's fifth coming off the board at shortstop. Basically, uh, overall, ADP uh, 39, so it makes him a fourth-round pick in 12-team leagues. Steamer has him as 12th and they uh, project him to 23 home runs, 19 stolen bases. So basically a 2020 guy and always hits for average. 2.83 batting average is what they're projecting. He hit uh, 3.09 last season. And Auction Calculator has him listed as the fourth best shortstop.
2: Yeah, and it's cuz he like eventually you know Steamer's a a pretty conservative um, projection system based on some of the others, but Tim Anderson just keeps putting up good seasons. He's been a top 10 shortstop for two straight years. Uh, he does, he does a little bit of everything. He's got the power, he's got the speed. And I think that again, speed is such a big deal in the NFBC format. You gotta get speed, demon speed, speed's what we need. We need greasy, fast speed. And that makes him even more appealing. Um, I mean, he, he didn't get to, he didn't quite get to 20 home runs or stolen bases last year, but he very well could. That's not really a problem for him. Um, He puts so many balls in play that he gets out there. You know, he just, he did happen to miss some time and that does happen with him, but I'm a big fan of Tim Anderson. I've, I've never shied away from him in drafts. I guess like the worst thing you can ever say about him is that he has slightly less value in an OBP league. Because pretty much all of his OBP is from his batting average. He doesn't walk ever. Uh, the White Sox just don't walk generally as a team. They like to swing the bat. They got a bunch of real strong guys who like to hit the ball really hard. So um, he, I think he's priced appropriately, uh, which is kind of a bummer because he had been a value for a while, and now he's not. Now he's just yeah. like regular. Yeah. Now, now you have to pay full freight, which is fine because it's good. It's just you're not going to get that luxury mm-hmm. of people sleeping on him a little bit.
1: What about a guy we spoke about earlier, Juan De Franco? Uh, and if, are you willing to invest a fourth-round pick on average in the 12-team league on a guy like Juan De Franco? If you look at his ADP, according to NFBC, per shortstop, he's getting drafted ahead of Francisco Lindor, which I'm okay with, ahead of Corey Seager, ahead of Javier Baez. Uh, what are we thinking?
2: Yeah. I mean, first of all, like he's one of these kids who he started living up to the hype real quick, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a reason Steamer projects this guy to be the seventh best fantasy shortstop, despite the fact that he has all of what 70 major league games under his belt and, you know, four playoff games, four playoff games where he hit two home runs and like mashed. Uh, <clears throat> I think that he, It's going to be, you know, the steamers projecting him for full playing time. I think you have to, he just got his big contract. There's no reason not to play him now. Right. Um, He, you know, his power kind of went in and out a little bit in his first season. I think that might happen a little bit again. Um, But he's going to make his hit tool is so good that while he may not blow you away with the home run or stolen base numbers, like, you know, I'm not sure I'm going to project more than 20 to 25 home runs. Steamer projects the 19, I think 20 to 25 sounds about right, but he should get plenty of counting stats hitting in the middle of a raise order that, you know, tends to just keep scoring runs by hooker by crook. And he is going to hit, you know, he hit 288 in his first season. He hit at least 310, like every stop in the minors, right? Like this guy's going to hit 300. This is like a batting title type kid. So that's where a ton of the value is going to be, which is weird because you expect the you expect a superstar like this to have these big, loud numbers on mm-hmm. the stat sheet, like a Vlad Guerrero Jr., like forty home run guy. That's not what Wander Franco is, but he could very well hit like three twenty, mm-hmm. right? Like that's the kind of thing he is, and there will be more power to come. But in the meantime, enjoy pretty good power and an amazing hit tool.
1: What about future Tiger, Carlos Correa? You look at his uh, his rankings; they kind of vary. According to Steamer, they have him playing 147 games, uh, 278 average, 28 home runs, 84 runs scored, 89 RBI, and a stolen base. That's third among shortstops. Uh, according to Steamer, he's 12th at the position per the auction calculator, and in NFBC drafts, 15th at the position uh, with uh, an overall 100 ADP.
2: Yeah. So obviously, like let's let's get one thing out of the way. We know that one of the biggest issues with Correa is playing, right? He's actually got to play steamer projecting him for 147 games, right? He played 148 in 2021, which was by far the most. He hadn't played more than 110. I mean, he played all of the season in 2020, the short, the short season, but other than that, he missed like a huge chunk of games in 2017, 2018 and 2019 right? Like that's just what has happened. Now when he's played, of course, he has been very good, right? There's nothing, you know, there's nothing to be surprised about with that. He has a 128 WRC plus over his, you know, 3000 major league plate appearances, right? Um, the problem is just that they're so scattered. This guy's been in the league since 2015, but he still feels so young because we never get to watch him play. Right. So he's going to be 27. Actually, he is 27. He'll be 27 for basically the entire season. Um, I, I like him a lot. I think that, you know, hitting 30 home runs if he ends up as a Tiger could be tough because it's a big stadium, it's a big ballpark. It's hard to hit 30 home runs there. He should get close. Um, I also think he'll hit somewhere between like 280 and 290. I think that number's higher if he's in Detroit with lower power numbers. Um, and I think that if he goes elsewhere, it's probably like closer to that 30 home runs. And then, you know, maybe a little less on the batting average. Hard to say exactly. But obviously, I I do think that he's a top 12-ish shortstop. I think wherever he signs may give him another little boost. But, I I mean, I love this. It's hard to say I love a value when a guy's going, like, inside the top 100 picks. But he's going as the 14th shortstop. Like, it makes no sense. Why would you take Bobby Witt Jr. in front of Carlos Correa? Mm. Right? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me right? Like I, I'm all about Carlos Correa. I, I like this price and, and it's making this concept of maybe, you know, if you miss on the first wave of shortstops, because three of them are going to go in the first half of your, like in the first half of the first round. <laughs> I've never seen this before. There's two shortstops that have an ADP that starts with the number one, right? <laughs> Tatis is 1.56 and Trey Turner's 1.94. Mm. That's why, I mean, it's not going to stay that way. You're probably going to see Trey Turner, like move out of the one spot, but like, that's insane. That's wild, right? Like they both have min and max picks of one and three, but anyway, uh, Correa, you know, what I'm really going to like is a guy like Correa is going to drop in these like Yahoo style leagues that don't have a middle infield. Like someone's going to take, like, he might be the last man standing, right? Him or Jorge Polanco as a starting shortstop in Yahoo leagues is going to be amazing because they're going to fall a lot farther than they probably should because, People who have already drafted. You know, they drafted Xander Bogarts there, right? They drafted Wander Franco. They don't need Carlos Correa, so there might be some really good values there, especially at at
1: shortstop. And agree with you what you said about Bobby Witt Jr., uber prospect, probably going to have a nice, very nice career, but hasn't uh, swung a bat in in the bigs. And no matter how I feel about Carlos Correa and, and what he said about Derek Jeter, he does not Witt does not deserve to be drafted ahead of him. So. One last guy I'll just mention in passing, and we've spoken about him in uh, a past podcast, is O'Neal Cruz, Pirates prospect, per steamer, now steamer, very generous with him, 19 home runs, 13 stolen bases, 281 batting average, auction calculator, and uh, it's a little bit more realistic with the uh, ranking of 23rd shortstop, and uh, the NFBC also has him as the 31st at the position uh, overall. So. But let's get to a position that really has been keeping you up, unless you want to say something about Cruz. I know that the third base position has been keeping you up at nights.
2: Yeah, it has. Uh, One quick thing I will say about Cruz. They are real, like, Steamer, so Steamer does these war things, and they're projecting, like, value for defensive war. And they really like his glove a lot more than any scout does. Like, they're giving him, like, 5.6 defensive war, and that's that's probably not right. He's not that good defensively. Uh, but you know, especially because he's, he's huge. He's six foot, he's six foot seven playing shortstop. It, it's a bizarre thing to see anyway. Yeah. The third base position gives me a, a whole lot of heartburn. It's keeping me up at night because it's ridiculously shallow. Uh, I mentioned it in an earlier podcasts. You're going to hear it on podcasts all off season. As people start doing more and more drafts, they're realizing that after about five third basemen, it's really, really ugly, like hideous, right? because you got Jose Ramirez, you know, you love him, obviously sure. top of the pack. Then you've got Raphael Devers, Austin Riley, Manny Machado, Nolan Arenado. Like these are guys that, that should be very good. Yes. Austin Riley's only done it for one year, but it was very, very good. We actually had our own writers here, like Chad young in the off season last year pointing out how Austin Riley had a lot of upside did. So like after that, it gets so, I mean, it's just to me gross, because, Bre- I mean, Bre- well, they- is still
1: there. But- oh, yeah,
2: yeah. Break. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Bregman is still there. So Bregman is, is there. I mean, he wasn't as good as he we wanted him to be, but he was still I mean, obviously he was still he was still good. But I mean, even last year, he he didn't play the entire season. I guess yeah. there's a little risk there. That's rough, um,
1: surgery as well, but so it should be. I think it was his wrist should be ready for yeah spring training. But uh, you also and have Chris Ed Rendon coming off of an injury, and uh,
2: you got Rendon coming off an injury. You- DJ Lemayu coming off a bad year. Brian Hayes yeah. being a little disappointing. You know, Mankata Mancata being a little disappointing at times. Justin Turner, um, you know, I, I think people. That.
1: He's my safety net. at He's going to be everybody's
2: safety net. He's going to be everybody's safety net. You need a second safety net. Everybody's going to be looking at Justin Turner, especially because when you look at a thing like steamer and they put him as like the seventh best, you know, the fifth or sixth best, uh, third baseman. And he gets drafted as like the 13th. And you're like, wow, why is that so different? Number one, because Justin Turner is old and a health risk, although he's been fairly healthy recently. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and number two, um, Because like the problem with projections is they're always going to be trying to find like the most likely outcome. And there's this huge group of guys in the middle of like the third base rankings where we don't know. We have no idea what that's supposed to be. What is the projection supposed to be for Anthony Rendon? Like, is he going to come back and just be the old Anthony Rendon because he's healthy? Or is he going to be this like lesser version of Anthony Rendon that we actually saw last season before he left on injury? What about DJ LeMahieu? Like what happened there? Like you know, what completely unexpected. Hayes?
1: How do you project him?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a nightmare, mm-hmm. right? And then you have you know, and then what's going to happen though is that there's this big tier after that that is surprisingly appealing to me. Matt Chapman, I'll take a you know, I'll take a chance on that. at pick 183 for his ADP, right? Eugenio Suarez going to pick 200. He really exploded late in the season. I'll let you know, you know, know Pat. And my, Patting myself on the back there, yes, uh, I, I Josh Don- Josh Donaldson, when healthy, has been very very good. Alec mm-hmm. Bohm, Alec Bohm still has upside, right? Mm-hmm. Like he, there is a good third baseman in there. We just didn't see it last season, and you get him close to pick three hundred. Mm-hmm. Kevin is still way down there. God knows what happened to Mike Mustakis.
1: I was just looking at his name. Yeah,
2: it, it's way at the bottom.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Right, like there's there are a lot of like. Third base is, is gross because like the elite names go away quick. And I think a lot of people are going to be telling you, you got to get one of the first five to six third basemen If you really want to feel comfortable with the position. And, and I think they're right, mm-hmm. you know, cause once you start getting to Bregman, you're like, uh there's, there's some things to start wringing your hands over. Even Chris Bryant, like there's things you can start wringing your hands over. Uh, it, it gets ugly in a hurry you, at the very, very least. You need to know what your plan is at third base And what you're going to do if that plan fails. Got to have both because this position is going to be really hard to navigate. You don't want to go in just saying, like, don't worry. I know I'm going to wait and get Justin Turner because if you wait and then you don't get Justin Turner, holy crap, it looks a whole lot worse than you ever wanted it to. Mm -hmm. Right. And it only takes one person to outbid you. So, like, that's the thing that people make these mistakes, like, don't worry, I got my backup plan because my backup plan is this guy. But they don't treat it like a backup plan, right? They treat it like it's their main plan. They go, no, Justin Turner's my backup plan, and I never intended to draft a third baseman because I knew I could get Justin Turner late. And maybe you do. And maybe it works a couple times. But, like, there will be a draft where it doesn't work. And then what? Are you just going to – you can't punt third base. Like, that's not a thing. You can't do that. So what then? How do you manage, especially in a deeper league, like an NFBC, right? Right, Like where are you going to find the replacement level of value? Are you going to, do you have to then start playing it safe and go for like a Jamer Candelario who has a lower ceiling, but a higher floor than some of these guys. Do you try to like swing for the fences and see if Josh Donaldson will give you 140 games? Pew. Right. (laughs) Yeah. What do you do? What do you do? So that's why just know what you're doing at third base. You got to know, you got to plan, you got to have an idea right? Like, so for me, it's going to be, I would love to grab one of these top five guys, right? And if I can't, I need to have like two or three names, right? So for me, it's actually not Justin Turner. For me, it's like, all right, Matt Chapman. When Matt Chapman is like, I'm looking and looking. And when Matt Chapman starts being the best third, third baseman left on the board, because it's like him and Luis Urias and Ryan McMahon, and maybe even Justin Turner. When I see that, that's when I'm like, okay, got to start really pushing the gas and being ready to take my third baseman because after Matt Chapman, I'm not comfortable Mm -hmm. because I, that's what I've learned so far. And that's what you're going to use the mocks for is you're going to get into that headspace where what happens if, right? What happens if I wasn't able to get one of the first six guys? Um, this is how I make sure I have to get Matt Chapman, right? That for me right now, that's the way it's working. If I don't get one of those guys, I have to get Matt Chapman. And I'm not looking at that ADP of 183. I'm looking at that min pick of 125 and being like, once we start getting to like pick 130, 140, 150, I have to be ready to pull the trigger if I can, if there's not some huge value that I have to take instead, because I will not be left holding the bag at third base with a guy I'm not comfortable with.
1: Yeah. So we've been taking a look at player rankings using
3: Steamer.
1: Fan Graphs' auction calculator. And now we're using NFPC ADPs. We've still got the outfield and catcher position to analyze, and we'll do that right after this. All right, we're back, and uh going to start taking a look at some of the outfields. Now, obviously, uh, outfield is a huge position, Uh, depending on the type of lead that you're playing. You're either going to start three or five, but I was just one guy that really kind of stuck out at me, and it shows the flaws of just using steamer uh, as a tool is uh, Brandon Nemo. He's ninth per steamer among outfielders. That's one ahead of a guy that I know you really like, and I like him too, Kyle Tucker. So uh, Brandon Nemo, I can't see him going ahead to Kyle Tucker. No, Brandon Nemo is this
2: guy that's just like everyone's, everyone finds a reason to love at some point or another because you dig around and there's all these like cool numbers about the guy, uh, because he, he has like a ridiculous OBP takes a ton of walks is a fairly good defender. Um, but yeah, they, it's really bizarre that Mm -hmm. steamer projects him to be so good. Like they project him to have a career year, uh, which is again, a really weird thing for a projection system to do. They expect him to set records at every like every, all of the five major stats, that's what they think. So like, not only is he going to play, you know, have a hundred more plate appearances than he's ever had before. Uh, he's going to hit more home runs, steal more bases, have more runs scored, get more RBI. He's going to do it all right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's just really bizarre. <clears throat> but what we do know is that, you know, he is an OBP, he, he's useful in OBP leagues and he gets hurt a lot and the Mets don't always play him as much as they should. And ultimately he's a guy that should always be on like your watch list mm-hmm. because he's going to do some stuff, especially in OBP leagues, but he can have good batting averages too. He puts a lot of balls in like, he doesn't put a ton of balls in play, but he, you know, he does keep a decent batting average, but like, this is not a building block. This isn't the guy that I think in Yahoo leagues, I'm ever going to draft. He's just right. going to be a guy yep. that I pick up at some point. Cause I need the stats that he can provide. I mm-hmm. need run scores and OBP for a little while, something like that. That's Brandon Nemo. And these projections can just help you be aware of a guy.
1: Cedric Mullins, 30-30 guy last year. We spoke about him in our podcast last year. Uh, Now exclusively a left-handed hitter and uh, changed from being a switch hitter. And it really worked for him. 20th per steamer among outfielders. They uh, have him hitting 25 home runs, 26 stolen bases with a two fifty-nine batting average. Uh, according to the auction calculator, he's 15th. And NFVC values him a little higher. Ninth outfielder. Uh, we're talking a min-max of 15 and 34. That's a second-round, third-round pick. That's, that's pretty high.
2: Yeah, that's what happens when you go 30-30. Yeah. Right. Like we value that in the fantasy community. Um, Stolen bases are hard to come by. It's something that he can do, something he can do very well. Steamer projects him as more of like a 25, 25 guy, which honestly still makes him valuable at that draft spot. Right. Like you can expect a player to like come down to earth a little bit and still be worth the draft price that's going on right now. Mm -hmm. Like that's already, you know, Paul Spore talks about this a lot. It's already baked in the fact. Like if we thought Cedric Mullins was actually going to be a 30, 30 guy, he wouldn't be going ninth in the outfield. He'd be going like seventh, sixth, right? If you knew you were getting 30, 30, the fact is we don't, we probably are going to get something more like 25, 25, but there's 30, 30 upside, right? And and that's why, you know, that's where, you know, yes, yeah, some people are going to reach. You see his min picks fifteen. That means someone took him at the turn. Um, I, I could see someone doing that. It's not crazy to me. Um, especially at this point in the offseason where guys like Ronald Acuna Jr. and Mike Trout are hard to draft because we don't really know what's going on with them. But Cedric Mullins is a guy, I, I don't think you should shy away from him. I don't think that you should think, oh, that, you know, just because the because his draft slot is a lot higher than it was last year, it doesn't mean it's a bad value. There's, it's it's still a good value if you believe in things like Steamer. Because Steamer will tell you he's definitely a top nine outfield in terms of projections, and you don't you only have to draft him as a top nine outfield. They have him as the twenty sixth, you know, you know twenty sixth player overall in ADP. He's probably close to that in auction value. You know, absolutely. I'm, I'm all I'm all for it. I'm I'm down. With with Cedric Mullins there, especially uh, if you're someone who it needs to make sure they have stolen bases, because those are really hard to come by, and you don't want to be trying to cobble them together late in drafts.
1: Right, right. Randy Arozarena, are you down with him? Uh, last year, 20 home runs, 20 stolen bases, got caught 10 times, which is a little troubling. You wonder if uh, the Rays are going to let him you know, keep stealing bases as freely as he had. 23rd outfielder per steamer. They have him as a 25-20 guy this year, 259 batting average projection, which is a little low based on the 276 career batting average that he has. 18th per auction calculator, 15th outfielder per NFBC, min-max of 35-64, which means that anywhere from the third to sixth round in a 12-team league.
2: Yeah, you know, what's really interesting about where he's being drafted is it's in this range of guys that are like in like big time injury risks or question marks. So right above him, like Rosarena is going as the 17th outfield. The 16th outfield is actually George Springer, who we know that when he plays, he's a monster and that he doesn't always play. Right. right, right. Um, Slightly after him is like a pick, you know, at the 20th outfield instead of 17th, that's Byron Buxton, right? Another guy he, monster when he plays doesn't always play. Right. And he's kind of sandwiched in between these guys where it's like, yeah, there's risk here with Randy or Rosarena. We see little warts pop up in his profile a lot, but also he keeps getting it done. Uh he keeps putting up good numbers. You know, he's he's done it now for a second straight year. He uh, you know, was obviously he was He hit another playoff home run because why not? Mm-hmm. Right? Uh that's just that's what, what this does. guy does.
1: Yeah. <clears>
2: he, <throat> you know, he's the he's the best on the biggest stage. Uh he had his twenty twenty season. He there's even more power there. Probably like he hit the 20 home runs this year. I, I like that steamers got him up at like 25, mm-hmm. right? Cause I do think it's there. I think that power is definitely there. I think that, um, he can even steal the 20 bases again, the rays do whatever they can to win games. They do it in a non-conventional ways. One way to do that is to steal and the kid's got wheels. He can steal home. He can do all those things. So he's, he's really exciting. I, I like it. I think it's a decent spot. And again, like, don't be too scared about like the strikeout rates. Because when you when you swing a bat as hard as he does, you strike out sometimes. It's okay, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: right? Like especially because he does he walked more this last season. He walked nine point three percent of the time. So don't just look at twenty eight percent strikeout rate and be like, oh, that's too high. Especially with a good walk rate, right? You really look at that strikeout and walk rate together. And then when in the current modern game, when your strikeout rates below thirty percent, you can be a very very good ball player. Especially if you're walking 9.3 percent of the time, sure. right?
1: Yep. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, certain players can't strike out this much. Like an Al Mondesi really struggles when they strike out 28 percent of the time because they never walk. But a guy like Rosarena, who does walk along with the strikeouts, he he can do this, right? I, and I I actually even think that Steamer's being a little uh, conservative on the batting average projection where they say he's going to you know only hit 258. I, I definitely think he can hit higher than that. I definitely think he can continue to hit like a 270,
1: 280. Agreed. Um, That's what he's done in his career. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, obviously with the high strikeout rate, like it's weird to see a batting average that high too. Uh, And eventually it might fade a little bit, but I'm a big fan here. And I just think that uh, I hope that people find more warts and push him down their draft charts because I won't be moving him and I would like to be able to draft him, but I can't do it while people still like him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ronald Acuna, awesome to see him starting to take some swings in the batting cage. Uh, we had thought, and still might come to fruition, that he might miss yeah, maybe a month of the uh, season. But then again, the other guy we'll talk about, he- Eloy Jimenez, uh, was injured at the start of last season. And it, you know there was some that projected that he'd miss. Most of the season, but he came back early. So why not Ronald Acuna coming back a little early? Uh, fifth for Acuna, fifth outfielder uh, coming off the board in NFBC leagues, min max of four and 27. Fourth per steamer. They haven't projected for 122 games, which. Uh, I guess they're projecting him to miss about a month or so, but still hitting 35 home runs, stealing 25 stolen bases, which I kind of wonder if he's going to be stealing as many bases this season coming off a torn ACL, but, you know, he's Ronald Acuna. Auction calculator has him at third. Yeah, and I mean, one, still
2: a long way before spring training. Right. Right. Still a lot of times for things to go well or things to go poorly. But what we know is that, number one, the auction calculator using steamers projections has him as the number three outfielder, despite having like a hundred fewer plate appearances than like everyone else in the top 10.
1: He's so good. He doesn't have to
2: show (laughs) up every day. Yeah. He doesn't even have to play every day. Right. So that that's really going to be the thing. It's all about risk aversion. There's going to be people that tell you like, Oh yeah. Like really prioritize Ronald Acuna at the end of the first round. Others are going to be saying like, you got to pass because if he doesn't, you know, if he has a setback and doesn't come in till June, all of a sudden you're screwed I get it. I think in Yahoo leagues where there's only three outfielders, you can be a little more aggressive here because you can find that replacement in NFBC style leagues. It's harder to find that replacement. So you got to be ready uh, and you really have to address it in draft. You can't just use free agency to fill that spot for a month or two. You just won't find what you need. But it's great news. Ronald Acuna Jr. playing baseball is good for baseball. And I love that he's in the batting cage. And every time a, another like positive news story comes out about him, I expect him to move one more rank up. Mm-hmm. Right. Right now he's at six, and if we get an, if we get a, like a video of him jogging around some complex, <laughs> he's probably going to be five.
1: Right. Right.
2: Right. Yeah, and he'll move to four because we see him on an exercise bike. Right. Like that's mm-hmm. what's going to happen until eventually he settles in. I think between like three and four.
1: Uh, Eloy Jimenez, uh, we spoke about him in a prior podcast this offseason. A little surprised at maybe just a little bit of disrespect. 29th outfielder per steamer. They have him uh, playing 146 games, 21st outfielder per auction calculator and 19th outfielder per NFBC. Uh, Looking like a 5th to 7th round pick in 12 team leagues. Did come back, played 55 games and really didn't, uh, the average wasn't there but still hit 10 home runs in those 55 games. So just a little surprised at the disrespect uh, being shown to Jimenez at this stage.
2: Yeah. Well, war's not going to like him because they don't think he's any good at defense, right? Like they just, and that's why he
1: got hurt trying to prove them wrong. Yeah.
2: Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, somebody knows something, right? Somebody's right. But, uh, you know, the thing with, with Eloy is I, I, again, I think that I'm willing, you know, he's young. He's still like relative, you know, he's relatively healthy, I think that he comes back from the injury and I think he's fine. I think he's going to be a high batting average, high power kind of guy. Um, he's going to be someone who you can be really excited about. And I, I, again, hope that people read too much into the struggles after he came back. Like, because that was him Go trying forward. to come back. Yeah. That, mm-hmm. that was him trying to come back and help his team make, make way in the playoffs. Cause if they do,
1: right? he's affordable draft day, right?
2: Yeah, that's what I want. But, you know, I think that a lot of people are too smart for that and it's not going to happen. I think that he's, they're going to see that he's projected to be, you know, like the projection is like, oh, a 267 batting average, 34 home runs, 99 RBI. But like 100 RBI, 35 home runs, and more like a 280 batting average is well within the range of possibility here. That makes him like a poor man's Juan Soto mm-hmm. and available like, Considerably later.
1: Let's move on to the final position that we'll talk about today, catchers. And when you look at catchers and these three players that we're going to talk about, I guess you really need to focus and understand the projection systems and ranking systems and what they use to create their rankings and projections, right? Because you you look at uh, Salvador Perez first. As he should be in NFBC drafts, right? And NFCBC drafts, it's, it's the high stakes players, right? So we kind of, they kind of know what the deal is, right? And, and then, but, but uh, Adley Rushman, uh, Orioles top catching prospect, getting a lot of respect at ninth in NFBC, uh, fifth by steamer projections, eighth in auction calculator. I was surprised to see Yasmani Grendel first in steamer. And uh, Salvador Perez, sixth, according to Steamer. So it's, it's a little wacky.
2: Yeah, that, that's that, again, that's that war coming out. Yeah. Right? Because Sal Perez doesn't generate as much war as a DH. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, obviously, Sal Perez is the top catcher of all catchers, partially because he's going to just play more than all of them. -hmm. Considerably more. Freaking
1: nature when it comes to catching. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Not only is he
2: he catches he dh is he gonna play every day? We're going to see more catchers playing every day if and when we see that uh NLDH come in. We're gonna see some of these high level DHs in the National League probably get a little bit more playing time because they're gonna get a they're gonna get a breather every once in a while. Um JT Realmuto, Will Smith for the Dodgers. Um, we could see it with even Wilson Contreras, uh Those are a couple guys off the top of my head that I think you could see play just a little bit more because there's going to be a DH spot for them to play in every once in a while. Mm -hmm. Right. So those are things that could happen. We could see them, you know, instead of being in like the 450 to 500 plate appearances, we could see it bump up to like five, you know, 550 ish, which does help because stat accumulation takes time. You need plate appearances to get stats and sell. Perez has such a huge advantage because he just is going to play so much more than everybody else, Mm -hmm. right? Like no other catcher is going to get 600 plate appearances, none, right? I don't think any of them are going to get particularly close, right? They're not going to be within 40 of it. Perez will be over. So that's the big thing with him. I think that the other thing to really keep in mind early in off seasons is that people love prospects in the NFBC, which is a two catcher 15 team league. You're always looking for that edge at catcher. And prospects are the, are the, you know, untouched gems, right? Mm -hmm. No one has done anything to distort the picture, right? They're that like hero that you haven't Googled yet, right? Like nothing, you can't find anything in their past. Like you can't dig through Adley Rutschman's old tweets yet uh, to figure out why he might not be a good ball player. He's just this shining beacon of potential Mm -hmm. and that's going to launch him up people's rankings. And that's okay. Right, especially in like a I actually like it better in a one catcher league because all right, well, I'm gonna stream it anyway. Let's go with Adley Rushman. We gotta figure out if he's gonna play right away, right? We don't know that for sure. Uh, we don't know if he does play, are they gonna play him every day, right? Or is he gonna be a platoon catcher, right? And I'm not spending that kind of draft capital on a platoon catcher, right? To be my first catcher. That that's just not great in NFPC. Uh especially with, you know, other other bats available like just a lot later. But anyway, yeah, he's a prospect, uh, you know, a well-hyped one uh, in a good ballpark. I think there's just a lot of helium there that I do think will fade as we get closer to the regular season and as more projection systems come out. Because, I mean, Steamer really positively gave, you know, they gave Adley Rushman almost 400 plate appearances. And I'll be Mm -hmm. stunned if he gets there, right? I'll be stunned. That's a lot of plate appearances for a full-time catcher who starts the league in the majors, right? Like, just because that's playing like 100 games. Yeah. And I'm not sure I see that. But, I mean, I guess it could it could happen. But, yeah, right now he's this, he's still that, you know, untarnished silver that's out there, you know, like the just the fanciest stuff you have that's always kept in plastic bags. It's untouched. There's no fingerprints, no smudges. That's what he is right now. And so it's easy to see him as this, like, sh- again, this shining beacon. And as we get closer to the season, we're going to start realizing there are smudges. Like, he may not start in the majors. He may not be playing right away. He might get exposed a little bit. Like, but the, none of that's happened yet. Right. He hasn't been exposed yet. I'm not yeah. saying he will necessarily. I'm just saying none of that's happened yet. So you can only think positive things because he's raked in the minor
1: leagues. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So great stuff, Scott. And uh, that just uh, about slams the lid on things for this episode. Way to persevere. Way to push through, Scott. And uh, as this episode is debuting on Thanksgiving, uh, we want to wish you a very happy one. And we are thankful that you dropped by and gave us a listen. Uh, Our next show is expected to drop on December 9th. And uh, maybe at that point, we've got a lot of interesting things that could be happening Uh, hopefully there won't be a lockout. Uh, Maybe we'll take a look at some of the players of note from the Arizona fall league. Maybe we'll have some more projection systems to look at and uh, maybe some more deals. So in the meantime, tell all of your friends about our show. You could follow me at Joe Galena, follow Scott at if the chew fits, follow our podcast at hacks and jacks PL. If there's anything specific you'd like us to cover, please let us know there. And uh, if you follow at pitcher list pods, Uh, We'll let you know anytime a new episode drops for any of the many great podcasts on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. Subscribe to Hacks and Jacks on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a nice review if you don't mind. And as always, we hope that all of your fantasies become realities. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, December 9th, okay? Until then, happy everything, and we'll see you next time.